for checking out episode number 56 of the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. This episode features interviews with three different entertainers who I really like the latest work of, and those are Ricky Starks, Paulie Shore, and Taylor Goldsmith from Dawes. First up is my interview with Paulie Shore. Yes, that Paulie Shore. The Paulie Shore that I grew up watching the movies of in the early 90s and beyond, the Paulie Shore that never really stopped working over the past few decades, who still tours nonstop. I mean, pre COVID 19, of course, although he does have a show coming up in Vegas soon. The Paulie Shore that came from the lineage that founded the comedy store in LA, the comedy club that helped make countless iconic comedians that we're still talking about today. Paulie and I spoke about his then new movie called Guest House, which is available through all your favorite on-demand services as we speak. Actually, a very funny movie that shows a darker side of Paulie. Still funny, but a darker side than I've seen in any other movie he's done. This one was originally done for the Jewish Journal, hence a little extra talk about Judaism right there. But you do not have to be Jewish to like this one. Trust me. Great guy, I enjoy talking with him, and I hope to talk to him and talk with him again soon. Paulie, how's it going there today? Lechayim, lechayim, good yontif to you, my fellow Jew. <laughs> Does anyone in the world call you Paul, or is it just Paulie to everybody? No, my dad called me Paul, and fuck, uh, Mike Binder calls me Paul, and then who else? I think that's it. Got it. So I will call you Paulie and congratulate you on Guest House. Was any of the film mm-hmm. actually improvised? Because it looks like whenever you make a movie that there's some improvisation in your dialogue. Yes, definitely. It's similar to my stand-up. You know, my stand-up is the same way where I go up there with, you know, with my bits. But then, you know, I'm like a surfer, you know. I drop into the scene and you never know where Polly Short goes. You know, I take a lot of chances and... Hopefully the actor, you know, can run with me, but they kind of know what they're getting in, into with me, you know. So, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I improvise and, you know, we we do it. You definitely do it. Uh, when did you make Guess House? It was last year sometime. Last year, yeah. 2019. Because sometimes with movies they don't come out for three or four years, so it can be a little bit confusing on that end. Is the movie that you signed up for totally the movie that appears on the film or uh, screen, or did a lot change? No, I, I, it's pretty much the same. You know, it's exactly how I wanted it. I wanted comedians that I thought were really talented to be sprinkled throughout the film. So you have Bobby Lee, you got Eric Griffin, you got Punky Johnson, um, you got, who else do you have? I don't know, you got Steve-O's in it. So, you know, they they sprinkle it. 
and then um and then uh you know uh you know i i it was important for me you know my character can easily become or come off unlikable um it was important for me to soften the character uh in the film so you know uh it didn't come across obnoxious but came across relatable as this crazy person that doesn't want to leave the guest house it's it's a very relatable subject especially now there's probably <coughs> with all this quarantine there's probably a lot of people that are are stuck in people's guest houses or in the back that won't leave and because of the laws and the rules you know it's it's kind of pro tenant you know what i mean which is kind of funny so this guy kind of leans on that you know right People who listen to a lot of your content know that you were smart about renting out your house while living in a smaller house and all that. Uh, so I'm sure that you know a thing or two about a, a tenant situation with guest houses. Yes, I'm very fortunate. Think I'm going to knock on wood right now. Boom, boom, boom. That the people that are are leasing out my property, you know, they're they're on time and and uh, you know, respect respectful, you know. The house that I live in Vegas, uh, I paid the I paid six months up front. You know what I mean, just to make the guy feel good. You know. Well, that's the great businessman I've come to expect. <laughs> One of the comics that's in yeah. Guest House that uh, is a regular at the comedy store is, of course, Eric Griffin. That's not one of the names you said. Something unique about Eric was that he was in that show I'm Dying Up Here, which was loosely based on the comedy store. Was that something you ever talked about with him? I did, but it was it was funny. It was always kind of like a eh subject, you know what I mean? Because I didn't really like it. I didn't really, you know, like how it kind of came across. I did. I don't know. It was just kind of like to me. It was like um, I thought it was okay, but you know, it's hard for me to look at it because it was based off of the store and my mom. So it's just like I don't know. It was just kind of like one of those subjects we didn't really talk about, you know. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, actors get offers. People want to work, you know, and that's it. It's like whether you're, you, I like something someone did or don't, it's, it's not really your business. People need to work and put food on their table, so, you know. And, of course, you've never stopped working. I've seen Adopted, Polish Shore is Dead, Polish Shore Stands Alone. You've never stopped creating, which is an incredible thing about you. Are you writing every single day? Because before you mentioned improvising a lot, and we do see that you have the podcast, Random Rants, and the karaoke videos and all that. Yes, I'm, I'm constantly doing stuff. That's kind of what I do. You know, a, a pilot flies a plane, Polish Shore, cre Shore creates content. You know, and, and that's all I do. You know, I, I create content. If they take away the stage for me on stand-up, then I'll create stuff in my house, which I'm doing and I'm excited about, you know. So you have to, life is about shifting, you know. You have to shift um, and, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, it's like going to prison. You know, you go to prison, you have two ways to be. Number one, you can be pissed off and not do anything. Or number two, you can get a college education, you know. Wow, that is so a fresh like, perspective. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned right. before random rants and all that. The Rancho Quattro is uh, becoming kind of a breakout success within the Pauly Shore world. And we get to see you doing great karaoke. I remember you had for a long time ago done a karaoke take on Unskinny Bop for a Brent Michaels tribute record. Is that ever in your repertoire oh, these days? 
No, I'm not doing Brett. I'm not going to do on Skinny Button. No, absolutely not. That was terrible. Why even bring that up? Jesus Christ. That was comedy art. I, I think that one of the things that you can gather from watching <laughs> Pauly Shore is sometimes things are face value and sometimes the things are a little smarter and people don't quite get it right away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm excited about the Rancho Quattro um, here, here in Vegas. I'm excited about Random Rants and my new series, which we're going to be launching in the next probably two to three weeks, is called Sweating with the Wheeze. Because everyone thinks I look like Richard Simmons. So I'm going to lean into that, and I'm going to do workout videos in my backyard with, like, a dance partner. And every Monday we're going to release a new, like, three-minute, you know, hey, get out of bed and, like, let's, let's start our week off. You know what I mean? Right. So kind of on a bigger scale here, as a guy who's always creating, who starred in big movies, who continues to work nonstop, is there anything you haven't yet accomplished that you're still hoping to one day? I would love a really good director that's well-respected in the business to say, you know what, I'm going to have Polly Shore play the third lead, you know, in this action comedy, you know, like the Joe Pesci role or, you know, or something like that where it's not leaning on me where I'm kind of like playing off of, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, Denzel Washington or something like that. You know what I mean? I would love to play off of like a, a serious actor that's famous where I'm not like the lead, you know? So it sounds like in the case of Dice, how people realized that as he got older, that it was a character and he could really act, that you're in a similar boat where not everybody realizes that this whole time you've been a great actor and so convincing that maybe they didn't pick up on it. Correct. Well, that's uh, pretty cool to, to hear that you have acting aspirations and all that. Is the comedy store still being run by you or did you kind of delegate that in moving to Vegas? Yeah, my, uh, Peter and Scott, my brothers, they're, they're running, and I'm not really involved. I'm kind of, like, moving on from that, you know? I mean, I, I'm in the documentary, The Comedy Store, that's coming out. Um, the Comedy Store's got a five-part documentary series that's coming out in, uh, in October. I think October 4th, it premieres every Sunday for five weeks. So I'm in that, and, you know, obviously the store is who I am. It's my childhood, and I'm also going to be doing a one-man show about my life, which I've been developing for the last couple of years and performing it, um, my childhood growing up at the store. So, you know, it's kind of like, my, I don't, you know, I don't want to be running the comedy store. You know, I'm 52 and I just want to, you know, I want to focus on making people, people laugh and, and, you know, and creating content, you know. Well, as we're coming up here on the 10 minute mark, two quick questions and then you're free. And the first one is, where does all the energy come from? Are you a big coffee guy or energy drink guy? Um, no, I think it's I think it's from my mom and dad. I think having both of them inside of me, because um, my mom was a workaholic and my dad was as well. My dad was always performing and always doing shows. So I think a combination of having them both, you know, Mitzi Shore, Sammy Shore, you know, I'm the baby, you know, I'm, I'm them, I'm, they're inside of me. So that has a lot to do with it. And then also just, you know, it's, it's what I do, you know, it's like my purpose in life is to create stuff. You know, some people's jobs are, you know, a doctor's job is to, you know, go and, and operate. My job is to create stuff. And that's what I do every day. You know, I'm just constantly I have tons of ideas. And the great part about the internet is you can do it and just put it out there and, and, you know, and it's very, my stuff's very focused, you know, it's very focused. It's not all over the place. Like you can understand what it is. Even in the movie Guest House, it's very simple. It's just about a guy 
living in a guest house that won't leave. That's it. That's the idea. It's not anything else but that. And then you get all the other stuff in it, you know? Um, so I'm all about simplicity. And the last quick question before you go, when and where was Paulie Shore bar mitzvahed? Um, I unfortunately was not bar mitzvahed, but I did go to Israel after my mom passed, and I, I had a little, a little uh, you know, I was kind of reborn there. I felt connected. I had my hands on the wall, and I spent a lot of time in Jerusalem, and and so I felt like that was like a little cleansing. I definitely want to go back to the Holy Land. It was pretty special for me being over there, being Jewish, and, and being over there. Both my parents never went to Israel. Um, a lot of Jews, they just don't go to Israel. It's crazy, you know what I mean, it, that they've never been. And it's just so, it's so special over there, you know. It's wild. So Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to interviewing you when the Comedy Store documentary comes out. But thank you for your time, and congrats on everything. Good yontif, good yontif. Great Shabbos. Take care. Later, bud. Outrocast. Next up is my interview with Taylor Goldsmith, the singer and primary songwriter behind the band Dawes. The next album from Dawes will be out on October 2nd. It's called Good Luck With Whatever. A few songs from it are already on Spotify, Apple, all the places that you'd look for new music. Sounding great. I think that you'd expect nothing less from Dawes, and I believe this is the seventh studio album. So this is a band that hasn't quit in the name of adversity and just keeps getting better and better with time and age. Taylor and I have a mutual friend named Mike Viola, who I hope will be on a future episode of this podcast. I believe his name has come up in a few episodes that I've taped on here before. Mark Pirro, who helps edit this podcast, I know him because of Mike. Mike was at my wedding, you know. (laughs) He's one of my favorite musicians and people altogether. So we spoke a little bit about Mike, who Taylor's also worked with, and the new album. And I think I got some new stuff out of him where I was talking about his creative process and all that. Unfortunately, he does not seem to have metal roots, but as he kind of revealed during this interview, it's possible that Mike, Viola, and him might be doing something metal-related in the future. Can't wait to hear that one if it does happen. Enjoy. Hey, Taylor. How's it going there, man? Good. How are you doing? Is it okay that I have these headphones on and stuff? Dude, dashing as always. Come on. Cool. Okay. Before, <laughs> it's like the light in here is crazy. Uh, hey, uh, blinding me with science. Uh, <laughs> well, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Congrats on your new single, St. Augustine at Night. When did you actually make it compared to putting it out? Uh, we recorded it in um in like like may june through there of last year um and we thought at the time like you know what we're in the middle of a tour uh we're always in the middle of a tour let's uh let's let dawes fans get a little bit of a break let's start 2020 with being mandy's band my wife she was going to go on a long tour um and then let's put our record out in like say october (laughs) and that way we'll have given fans a breather from like asking them to buy tickets to Dawes shows. And then everybody took that same breather. So it kind of didn't work out that way. I would, if, that, if, if we knew this would have happened, I would rather just put out the record in February, but uh, whatever. I'm really happy. It's finally coming around. Beautiful track. Was it one of many things recorded or are you the kind of person that does like two or three songs at a time? Uh, you mean like that song? 
Yeah, in general. Like some people these days go, oh, I'm done with albums. It's all about a single when I'm motivated. And then other people go, well, I'm going to make an album and I'm going to do it in two or three song spells at a time. I, I have no idea your process, what it's like, other than this is going to be the seventh record. Right, right. My process has typically been, um, here's 12 songs, let's find the right 10. Or here's, ah. here's 14 songs, let's find the right 12. You know, that kind of thing. Um, they, and that always presents itself. It always makes it clear which ones are working and which ones aren't. And I, it might be, I might be an old fart at this point about this, but like I can only think in terms of albums because that's how I yeah. digest my favorite material. Like I think that if, like the example that I've used in the past, I think if Dear Doctor by the Rolling Stones came out as a single, I might be a little bit like, I don't know. This doesn't really have like all of the gravitas of a Stone song. But when it's when it's like framed around sympathy for the devil and street and fight street fighting man on that same record, it lends them more power and itself gets better because it's it, it's it's there's this arc. It's not the Stones albums aren't ten singles. It would be a little bit insane. They know right. how to like give you something that lives and breathes. And when I if in artists that are re- re- releasing music as singles. I, some of them I love, like some of those kinds of artists I love, but, but I find myself not willing to listen to 10 songs in a row because I'm just overwhelmed. So I've always thought in ways of like, how do, how do songs lean on each other? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I was trying to think, what can I ask Taylor that people don't usually ask him before? So I reached out to our mutual friend, Mike Viola. Oh, I was just texting with him about you right before this. It's awesome. Okay, word got <laughs> out. So I said, Mike, what's Taylor really like? Because I've only seen you live uh, opening up for ELO at the Garden. He said, Taylor is the most literate musician that I know, the biggest reader. (laughs) I'm not saying that your lyrics are like not, you know, overly (laughs) full of references per se, but I wouldn't have picked that up about you. It doesn't seem to me like I, when I hear your music, that you're doing it like through a character's kind of perspective like Mike is, or am I totally wrong about that? Um, I'm definitely not doing it through a character's perspective. Um, one thing I think, like one, one uh, way that I feel like what I read is relevant to the way I write is the fact that I've never been able to get into poetry very well. Just, just, just a big dummy when it comes to that. Like, I, <laughs> like when, I was, when I was at the right ages, it's like, all right, Rimbaud, Verlaine, Bo- Baudelaire, um, T.S. Eliot, like I'd really tried. Yeah. And, and I don't, I think it was the time in my life or whatever. I just kept coming up dry and kept coming up being like, I don't feel anything. I don't know anything. And so I kept going back to novels and just narrative. And so the things that fire me up are like, like if you recommend to me like a 1200 page novel, some people be like, that's not, that's too much. I, that's my favorite thing. It takes me a long time. I'm a slow reader, but it's my favorite thing. So like I really get into, um, that's why I feel like my songs aren't, you know, triple coded. I love those writers. I mean, I love, I was just listening to the new Bright Eyes today. Mm -hmm. Connor Oberst has that quality where these songs, like that, he finished that record a while ago, like January, February. And yet every song feels like it's about coronavirus because he's that kind of impressionistic writer. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't, I don't have that. Um, I have, I think I'm more like if there's a spectrum somewhere in the universe between Connor Oberst and John Prine, I'm probably a little bit further over next to John. 
Yeah. Just, I, I like it when my songs, like my song feels done when the intended emotion is what you're intuiting. Um, I've never been great at like, like, please just interpret this. And I, it's just not how it comes out of me, even though I wish it was. Yeah, there's some people who are excellent songwriters. Somebody like, say, Billy Joel, where he's saying exactly what he means. There's not a lot of hidden meaning. And I take a song like yours. The first Dawes song that really hooked me was Time Spent in Los Angeles. And it's such a meaningful song. It's simultaneously optimistic and pessimistic. But I don't think you're hiding behind anything in that. I don't think that that's a character. That's that's. Oh know. yeah, that's and and more or less always the case. I mean, I, I especially around then, like yeah. I've had this working theory, and this might offend people in their early twenties, but like at least for me as a writer, and like and seemingly and like an immature future adult, like I was in a place where. I I I didn't know what um I didn't I didn't know like what was d- decent in terms of how much to talk about myself, you know. Mm. I I would make like an 11 song record and just it be it's all about me 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 cuz I assume that's what everyone does. And it's not. <laughs> and, right. and I and I look at in that in this one respect I almost look at how you uh write a record is sort of like how you conduct yourself at a conversation at dinner like to a certain degree it's like here's what i'm going through but also how are you or also (laughs) let me share this anecdote about someone else i know and love you know um and like i think i was in those early records of mine i was very much the guy at the table was like can we talk about my issues some more um (laughs) and so time spent los angeles and a lot of those songs are very much like here is what i'm going through and if it is if if there's any like tactlessness about this it is not occurring to me and um as time goes on as a writer i think the ones that you see sticking around i look at elvis costello as maybe one of my favorite examples of this um early elvis stuff feels very personal and very like close to his experiences and when you get to lps 8 9 and 10 and 50 um they're (laughs) they're he's very good at occupying other people's experiences it almost feels like a rite of passage. It almost feels like, okay, you've made it this far. And if you want to continue doing this, you can't keep putting yourself up on the surgeon's table. You have to start finding another way to, to breathe life and do a song. And so, um, so songs like St. Augustine at Night are me trying to like, you know, push those walls further out and say like, I'm not, I'm, I, I, I'm and not for anybody else other than myself, but mm-hmm. I, am a, I need to be a writer that can um, that can talk about like just a human's experience rather than my own. Hmm. Uh, speaking of Mike Viola, when you really nail him down a little bit and you find out what was the music that got him started, he really started on Ozzy and Black Sabbath and hard rock. And I'm assuming you know Danny Harrison based on the fact that you both were in that Jeff Lynne opening act world. We crossed paths, not then, but we crossed paths years and years before. I'm not sure if he remembers me or not, but, but it was, you know, he's a very lovely guy. Well, when I interviewed him two years ago and I asked about what got him started on guitar, it wasn't the Beatles, it was wow. Iron Maiden. Were wow. you ever a metal guy? Um, I know you were. I know that's a big, I know that you're like an encyclopedia of, of, of yeah. metal. <laughs> but, uh, but I uh, want to be. It's funny, like, like I, I, uh, I, like, I, my, my initial steps into like what I fell in love with, like, of course, my dad was an R and B singer, so of course, 
you know, there was tons of um, Otis and Temptations and that sort of thing. And then the Beatles and the Stones, but it was really just like a diet for kids. Like, it's like, you need to know this. This is a foundational stuff. Um, and then when it came time for me to go out on my own and like Danny, like find it, the way he found Iron Maiden, for me, it was for better or for worse. It was like Third Eye Blind and Matchbox 20 and just like, like whatever was on the rack at Blockbuster Video in like <laughs> 1996. Um, and that's that. And that's, and for me, it was like, this is me falling in love with music. And um, with, with, with metal, there was never like Zeppelin was the closest thing when I was just learning how to play guitar in a serious way and um, wanting to learn riffs and understand how they could build songs off of that. Um, but I don't, do, do they count? Are they a metal band? No. Zeppelin? Yeah. Uh, oh man, that, uh, I know Jimmy Page hates it when you tell him that he's a metal artist, but every stupid VH1 countdown ever that says the best metal bands ever will be like Zeppelin one or two behind right. Black Sabbath. But, and isn't it, isn't it true that that's like, that they, they invented the language in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's debatable, but like just what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, the term heavy metal, oh, this is going to sound so nerdy. I mean, heavy metal comes from that Steppenwolf song from Easy Rider, uh, the line heavy metal thunder. And mm -hmm. Hend wait, was there also a Hendrix line about heavy metal? Whatever it is, isn't that kind of the thing that the, like, the people who invented punk rock hate being called punk? Uh, I think any <laughs> generation. I think like, you know, uh, Kurt Cobain hated the term grunge. Yeah. Um, I get a little wincy when people say Laurel Canyon, not that I'm not putting myself in the same sentence, um, as Kurt Cobain, um, uh, on, on purpose. I shouldn't do that, but, um, I, I'll do yeah, that for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's like, nobody, I don't think anybody likes terminology because that's why you create a body of work. And the reality is it doesn't, it doesn't, especially with artists that are more like nuanced. I mean, mm -hmm. like Zeppelin's a good example, but, but even Tom Petty or Bruce Springsteen, it's like, what they do is singular. We can all agree on that for those of us that are familiar with their music. But if someone landing on planet earth for the first time says like, what does Bruce Springsteen sound like? You're not going to get it right. It doesn't matter what you say. Like you could say words like blue collar, every man, rock and roll, <laughs> anthemic, right. like, and it's always going to come up short. Um, and the same goes for, for like genre terms, unless you like just keep, cutting up that pie and saying like 50 different things. And eventually it's like, you know, whatever recipe you've created for these artists. I'm surprised by that answer. I thought I was going to get a, well, my first album was kiss uh, blank this album by kiss because your sense of melody. I mean, the kiss guys admit that big star was an influence on them. Oh, the, you, you never know where it comes from. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, I, it's, it's funny. Like, like uh, I don't want to give, I don't want to give too much away, but, but Mike and I have actually like flirted with the idea of writing some hard rock songs together and oh. figuring out some sort of like place for that. I do hope that happens. And, you know, being super respectful of your time because you are in the midst of what they call a press day. <laughs> they are going to ask you some of the same questions I've asked about mm, six, six more times probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know that there is a new album in the pipeline. Uh, we know that things are going very well. You've got this great new single, but is there anything I didn't cover that's upcoming for you? Um... Not really. I mean, things are so weird right now that that uh, that we just don't know what the future holds. You know, we look forward to touring again, but 
it's, you know, when you really like sit, stop, stop and think about that, it's pretty scary what that could mean. Like yeah. no one knows what venues are going to be open. Um, and they're going to be so rattled that the ones that are open aren't going to be able to like pay the way they used to. So bands are going to have to reconfigure how they tour. Um, yeah, it's just so trippy to, to try to wrap our heads around what the future of rock and roll music for a living looks like. Um, but, you know, we're staying positive. I mean, with all this extra time, I was able to, like, finish writing another record. So hopefully we'll be able to go record that soon. And Mandy's album is excellent. Uh, I expected nothing less. You played a hand in that. Mike did as well. So hopefully see you both on the road in the near future. My usual closer is any last words for the kids. Uh, you kind of answered that, but anything uh, else that we should be taking into account of the future generations that listen to Taylor? Um, just uh, learn on acoustic guitar before you switch to electric. <laughs> You're totally correct on that one. <laughs> Otherwise, the parents and the noise and all. Yeah, that. and also it's like it's like those basketball, those baseball players that swing three bats before they walk <laughs> into the actual box and just swing one like th- th- uh, acoustic guitar makes it feel like you're running in sand and then you pick up the electric and like wow this is a little easier so it's a way to learn before you get the calluses well yeah. taylor can't thank you enough for your time here looking forward to the whole album and seeing you live in new york and all that but uh keep up the greatness there man thank you so much Outrocast. last but definitely not least is my interview with ricky starks or absolute ricky starks as he likes to be called and this one was taped on august 31st If you're not a wrestling fan, Ricky Starks is one of the latest big signings of AEW or All Elite Wrestling. That one airs every Wednesday evening on TNT here in the States, TSN in Canada, Fight TV uh, in the UK, I believe it is on ITV. Any way that you watch it, AEW has been on the air for less than a year, but it's already been picked up for another three, four years by TNT. It's a big deal. And Ricky Starks is somebody that I interviewed for the first time towards the beginning of this pandemic. While we were talking, he made a reference to, I think, Ambrosia or one of the soft rock bands I really do like. I like what's called Yacht Rock. And I kind of realized, wow, there's a lot more to this guy than wrestling. A lot of wrestlers you speak with, wrestling is really their number one hobby and all that. There's not a lot of hobbies or interests otherwise. In the case of Ricky, yeah, he's a wrestling diehard, but there's music and fashion and art and all sorts of things. So I wanted to speak with Ricky again, and this time ask about music and all that, but also ask what it's like now being on television almost every week for a really, really big company, how that's changed his life and all that, and also being somebody that covers the travel beat a bit. I want to ask about him living in Austin, Texas, because he's always uh, introduced as being from New Orleans. Great guy. In fact, such a great guy that I think he almost might start watch wrestling because of hearing somebody this intelligent and interesting and informed and all that hope you like it ricky starks is one of my favorite people to watch on AEW dynamite each week because there's the charisma there there's clearly the work ethic there ricky starks is just great but when i think about ricky starks i don't know much about ricky starks is that kind of by design that you're one of the few people that has mystique in wrestling these days um I guess I really don't know. See, the thing is, is, is I'm a pretty private person. 
Um, so I, I don't always care to share a bunch of stuff uh, online um, or even like film stuff, you know what I'm saying? So there's that aspect of it too, but sometimes people just don't ask me. So if you don't ask, I won't tell. By that, I mean that you're branded so well that you could see something and go, Ricky Starks would do that. Ricky Starks wouldn't do that. But then uh, like, how do you describe who Ricky Starks is or what he is besides that's a charismatic, energetic guy. Like if I hear a song, I think I could go, Ricky Starks would like that or Ricky Starks yeah. wouldn't like that. So, right. so is that that's by design? That Dude, that's a great question. I don't think it's by design. I think that's just how I am. I, I, obviously I like hearing that. Like that's, that's great because everyone seems to be, I think everyone seems to take the easy way. I don't want to be too relatable to people to try to win over their, um, their fanfare. And me personally, I don't care to do that. If there's something that you can relate to me about, then that's cool. But I'm not about to, you know, go online and, and try to do all this other stuff. The, the thing with me is that I think too many people try to make me a character and try to describe me as something. And I don't, I never saw myself as that. What you see is, is what you get. Like this is who I am outside of wrestling and people right. have a hard time to believe that. I don't know why, but yeah, it, this is, this is, I like the fact that you, you see things and you think of me. I love that because that tells me that uh, I'm doing something right whether that's by design or not, I think it all has worked out perfectly. Well, there's an old story about Tommy Dreamer, who's been in and out of AEW, where he had an argument with an unnamed ECW executive who said that Tommy Dreamer would never drive that kind of car. Uh, they had some kind of a thing where I think Tommy Dreamer showed up in a Mercedes, and he said, Tommy Dreamer would never drive that. That's not possible. And yeah. Like Ricky Starks, for example, would not drive a minivan. Uh, he wouldn't have Trent's mom's minivan. Uh, right. The video that plays as you come to the ring shows a Ferrari or a Porsche or something like that. That's a Ricky Starks car. Yes. That's a great point, actually. I think, uh, yeah, dude, man, you've really made me think about something I didn't think of before. I guess there is some type of branding when it comes to how I look and how I present myself. And I'm all for that. You're absolutely right. There's certain things that you wouldn't see me do. Uh, I don't even own a minivan. And I wouldn't even, I don't even like driving the rentals. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 1000%. Uh, I think for me though, is I am just, just keep this in mind. For me, it's very important to be as authentic and genuine as possible because I don't think that we get that a lot of the times in wrestling. Right. And so uh, obviously I know that I'm going to have people who will say, oh, I don't get it. I don't get Ricky Stars. I don't know what he is. And what I say to that is maybe there isn't just it, maybe it isn't supposed to be something that you get. Why can't it just be someone who who is who he is? And he acts the way he does because that's I'm from New Orleans. Like everyone acts like that. So it's normal to me. That makes a lot of sense. The last time I had the pleasure of interviewing you vinyl and music came up have you always been a vinyl collector not always i think i got into it when i was like 28 27 so a few years ago uh, a fan gifted me a turntable and they gave me the uh the lionel richie vinyl that was my first vinyl Hansel and then for me huh 
Can't Slow Down by Lionel Richie. I, is that the one where he's like posed? Yeah. <laughs> I have it actually. I, I have it. Uh, that's the, my first one. Dancing on the Ceiling is on there, I believe. And so, uh, so from there it started. Honestly, dude, I just got a new vinyl not too long ago. Or really, like one of my favorites, um, Grover Washington Jr. Oh, yeah. I just got. Yeah. So I'm loving it. Uh, I'm, I'm slowly adding it. Keep in mind, I don't get all vinyl. Like there's certain things that I want to hear in that, that way. Yeah. So I'll go in and find that. Otherwise I'll just have Spotify and then just listen to it on there. But the Grover Washington Jr. album is so great to hear. Just the scratches, just oh, all of it is so good. Absolutely. And if you like Grover Washington Jr., you like Lionel Richie, that means you like Yacht Rock. I do. I love Yacht Rock. Uh, I don't know if you remember the series that used to come on YouTube where they would go through different episodes about certain artists. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Channel yeah. 101 thing with – with with has like a, a fake David Lee Roth yelling at the Doobie Brothers or something. Well, yeah, there's like an episode of how Doobie Brothers song came about. You remember those? That's those those oh, yeah. guys would do like parodies of it. Yeah, I used to watch those all the time. Uh, but dude, I love yacht rock, and honestly, I think it's yacht rock, and I love soft rock. Uh, I just love that whole time period. But your in ring entrance song is still pretty damn on brand. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you would call that genre wise. Like, is it hard rock soul? What would you call uh, there? So Curtis hard Mayfield. R&D. Yeah. What would you consider Curtis Mayfield to be? Well, soul, you got to say he's a soul artist, but he did have some rock tendencies. That's Superfly soundtrack, Pusher Man Fine. and all that. That's some rock right there. Freddie's dead and all that. Exactly. So, that's really where that theme song is kind of based off of those, those horns and everything. Uh, it's very like stadium status sound. Um, so I would consider that a little bit funk rock, you know what I'm saying? A little funk rock. There's, there's elements of like some Ohio players in it. There's oh yeah. Definitely, uh, elements of Curtis in there. Um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I, I really love DJ Roger. Uh, he's good passed away, unfortunately, but he's great. So, you know, those different, those different elements. Honestly, hear me out. Isaac Hayes elements are all through that, that theme song. Hmm. And was that theme song, if you're not allowed to say, don't say it or just go next question. Was it done by an in-house AEW composer at the theme song? Yeah, it was done by uh, Ruckus. Ruckus did it. And I didn't hear the song until I actually came out for my match with Cody. So wow, um, I, I love it. And obviously there's room for growth in that theme song too. Like it can, it can make be made for some, some edits there. Hmm. Now you personally, I know that you're an encyclopedia for wrestling and I'm learning that, you know, your stuff with music too. Is there anything else hobby wise that comes close? Like fa- always fashionable. You always change up your gear and all that. Uh, no one wears shoes like you do to the ring. <laughs> My wife's like, <laughs> Did you see Ricky's shoes? Okay, I didn't, but now I do. Is there anything else that comes close to music and wrestling for you? I mean, not, I mean, art. I love art, too. I love certain types of art. But honestly, damn, that's really the main, the main things that I really love and, and I'm bringing forth in wrestling. Um, obviously, fashion, music, wrestling. Those are the main three things that I enjoy, obviously. 
So yeah, when it comes to those three, I think that's about it. I'm slowly getting hobbies as I'm getting older, which is cool. But I think for right now, I really enjoy those three and, and combining them. Hmm. Now, that's cool to hear that you're evolving and you're learning and you're growing and all that because now you've been in wrestling like 10 years, 12 years, something like that? Yeah, so 10 years um, coming up in October. So I started in 2011. Oh, no, not 10 years. Wait. Almost, almost 10, 10-ish? Oh, yeah, it's 10-ish years. Yeah, my anniversary comes up in October 14. So, yeah, it's been a very long journey. Uh, and obviously, I've seen things change uh, from the independence up all the way to the top. For sure. So it's really cool to see at least that growth. And being in AEW, being on weekly television in a big way and all that, does that really change your life a lot? Because you, you said at the, at the top of this that you're a private person. Yeah. Is being a celebrity difficult for you or is it just natural because you've always had this charisma to you? Mm, I don't find it difficult in the sense of case in point. Like I remember I made a status about like bringing my PlayStation two to play over the weekend. <laughs> and people were like, yeah, people were like, Oh, you're going to stream it. And it's like, you know, you don't have to film everything that happens. Totally. And some guy had responded with, uh, you know, I was, I was complaining and, you know, I can't handle this, the celebrity status. And it was such a very, uh, it, it, the attitude of it was very, uh, what's the word, you know, entitled. Uh, so it's like, I'm okay with being a celebrity because I have the option to not uh, show certain things that I don't want to and not have to feel some type of uh, ownership. No one has ownership over me. So I don't have to do certain things if I don't want to, but I'm, I'm absolutely fine with it. I don't look at myself as a, a celebrity or anything. I look at myself as someone of importance, you know. <laughs> I say celebrity because if you go at the this precise time and flight path and all that, people will be like, that's that guy from TV. I mean, when you have close to a million people watching you a week in the States, plus the Absolutely. people in Canada and Europe and, and all that. And YouTube, yeah. It's over. Exactly. As far as total views go, we're over a million. Exactly. So... Bring it all back to AEW a little bit. Uh, working with Taz, is he somebody that you'd met before AEW ever? No, that was actually my first time meeting Taz. Uh, and first time working with Taz. I'd met Cage before uh, on the Indies, and he's great. But that was my really like first time meeting Taz, talking to him. Uh, I remember he came up to me after my first match with Cody and was and giving you know just giving me compliments as far as the match goes and mm -hmm. how he was impressed and stuff like that. So I, I think the um, the partnership has been so beneficial to not only me, but everyone involved that I, I enjoy it. I think Taz is great. It's a great contrast between your personalities to, to say the very, very least. And it almost uh, makes me as a fan wonder, will you start influencing Taz? Will he start dressing better? Will he start, I don't know, embracing different things? Is that a possibility that we might eventually see in the storyline? I don't know if you if you if you'll have Taz uh, come out in some some Gucci slides, but I think you'll catch Taz walking some loafers with no socks and shorts and a nice little polo. You know what I'm saying? I think I think we'll catch Taz with that and a nice cigar in his hand. That's a possibility for sure. 
That would be a wonderful thing indeed. And you personally, uh, you're built as being from New Orleans. You are known to be a resident of Austin. Austin is one of the coolest cities in the U.S. It's the, the yeah. San Francisco of Texas. What brought you out there? Uh, initially, I was out there from uh, just basically my parent, my mom needed a, she's a nurse, so she came out there to find a better opportunity as far as jobs go. And that's kind of where it just started from there. I found the school to train at, uh, and then it just snowballed from there. And it's hard to, there's no other place that besides New Orleans that I would think about living just because I love the weather here. Uh, everything is really cool. Everything is, is hiking. You got greenery. Everything is available to me that I enjoy. So uh, I really do like Austin quite a bit, though I will always rock New Orleans, you know, as long as I live. Right. It seems like Austin might be like the fifth city of wrestling right now uh, without naming too many names. A lot of talent down there, but they didn't necessarily move there because their mothers were changing careers per se. Do you, right. is it, is it that wrestlers are moving there because it's cool or is there actually a big wrestling scene in Austin that we don't know about? Well, I don't, there I'm trying to think of who else is from Austin. Uh, well, Undertaker, Mark Henry, oh, yeah. I believe, lives there. The Miz talks about being there. Sammy G. Oh, well, Sammy actually lives in Houston. Um, as far as I know, it's right. me, Taker, and Mark Henry that live here. And I think Kofi also live here, lives here, too. Miz moved back to California. But I think people enjoyed Cali or Austin just for the fact that, one, you don't have that state, um, I think a state income tax or something like that that you have to deal with. And two, it's just good weather year round. So, you know, you, you have those um, with you. And then the views of certain areas are beautiful. I don't think that Austin is necessarily a hotbed for wrestling. There's a few shows that are still current here, but uh, for the most part, I think you'll find that Austin is like a, like a suburb of some of the hotter spots, which would be Houston and Dallas, in my opinion, as far as um, independents go. So there, but don't get me wrong, like Inspire, that's pretty reputable. And they're based out of here and, and from here as well. Hmm. Well, two, three quick questions, then you're on your way because you're a busy man. Everybody knows that by now. First, <laughs> yeah. is there a highlight for you so far in being part of the AEW team? Highlight. So it, since I've been there, right? Yeah. Uh, man, that's a great question. I think the highlight for me has been how easily integrated I've, I've gotten myself into the whole system. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of the people backstage, I feel like have taken a liking to me. Uh, I don't feel like I'm some type of outcast. I've gelled in pretty well with the whole roster. So I think that's pretty cool just because uh, – a month ago, I was virtually unknown to these people. And now I think people have a little bit of respect for me as far as what I can do and stuff like that. Absolutely. Uh, Ricky Starks is, as we were talking about, this, this charismatic person that has just tremendous upside. I Yes, I keep complimenting you. Deal with it. What can you do? But is there anything that you think that people have wrong about you in general that you wish we're focusing on instead of the things I've been talking about? Um, not, not really because 
I find any type of criticism against me to be funny when it's not valid criticism. You know what I'm saying? So I've heard everything out of the book. People don't like the way I dress. Uh, I look too much like some some other people. Uh, you know, I'm not that good. I can't cut a promo. Stuff like that I've heard, and I find it to be funny because <laughs> nope. it's it's all subjective. It's really all subjective. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, I just focus on the people that actually support me, that actually like me, they they get me, uh, and that's that outweighs the negative more than anything. Makes sense to me. So the closer, Ricky, any last words for the kids? Um, you know, I could sit up here and give something very motivational. I don't think I have to because my career is, is pretty motivating as it is. Yeah. But if there's one thing I want to close off with is that everyone should listen to the group Ambrosia at least once in their <laughs> life, at least once. And I promise you, you'll be a fan for life. They are absolutely amazing. I love Ambrosia. Uh, some of the, the best the best moments have been filled with them in the background playing. And, yeah, just give it a shot. I mean, here's a little fun fact about Ambrosia. The singer David Pack was yeah. the musical director for Bill Clinton's inauguration for U.S. presidency. So if he was Clinton-approved, uh, that's pretty cool. I love that, yeah. I really thought, side note, I really thought you were going to say that Ambrosia had a small part in the rock musical theater uh, War of the Worlds. But because there's certain there's certain people who um, singers, at least, and that that whole thing that sounds just like the lead singer from Ambrosia. You're right. David Pack, I think, is his name. Well, you just taught me something new. So Ricky Starks, what can he do? He teaches you. He inspires, etc. I can't thank you enough for your time, man. (laughs) Thank you, bro. I appreciate this. Thanks for checking out the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. Produced by V13 Media. Theme song by Steve Schiltz. Audio mixing by Mark Pirro. Until next time, have a great Shabbos. Outrocast.